Our speaker this morning is Angela Reese. She is, uh, as of this summer, our former director of, of Providence Kids and is now a pastoral intern here. She is a gift to this community. Angela Reese. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning. So we've been introduced to four characters throughout this series. Esther, who went from being an orphan Jewish girl living in exile to becoming the queen of Persia and finding purpose. King Xerxes, a man that lived for parties and pleasure and his own glory. Mordecai, Esther's dad, a faithful man that never stopped trying to support her or work for the good of his people. And Haman, a powerful king's official that declared genocide on all of the Jewish people because one person wouldn't honor him. We've reached the point in the story where Esther has lived into her purpose. She put her life in God's hands and boldly stepped into the things she believed God was asking of her. She risked her life and begged the king to save her people. The king was angry with Haman. He was so angry, they made sure to include in the story that when he stormed out of the room in a rage, he left his wine. You know he was mad. (laughs) Haman ended up losing his life, and this is where the story picks up today. After Haman was killed, the king's anger subsided. He gifted Esther Haman's estate and gave Mordecai Haman's position, making him his new second-in-command. But then we see Esther approach the king again. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. What we see here by the king extending his gold scepter to her is that Esther risked her life again to try and save her people. She may have just been awarded some property, but it was still against the law to approach the king without being summoned. But it's what that moment was asking of her. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all of the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? Throughout this story, we've come to learn that the king liked to give freely and reward people for the things that they've done for him, which is nice. But there were people in his kingdom that still needed to be saved, and it seems like the king forgot or didn't care. He was kind when it added to his glory, but not so much when it didn't. But Esther didn't forget. She couldn't forget. And she felt a sense of urgency because the day the Jews would be destroyed was fast approaching. King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have impaled him on the pole he set up. Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews as seems best to you, 
and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. What he's saying here is, what Haman did can't be undone. They can't stop the attack on the Jews. But they could write a new decree outlining their best plan of action. So Esther and Mordecai got to work. They wrote a new decree that gave the Jewish people permission to defend themselves. They wrote it in the languages of all the people, sealed it with the king's ring, and sent it out on horseback to the entire kingdom. War had been declared. I need to tell you guys something. And this is so silly. I feel like it's absolutely ridiculous at this point. But it continues to be something that surprises people and causes them to lose focus. And I really want you to stay with me during this next part. And so I'm just going to get this out of the way, okay? I'm 40 years old. <laughs> Four zero. I'm married and have three children, two of them in their 20s. Are we good or do we need a minute? The camera tells the truth, so all the people watching online, they're like, oh yeah, she's 40. They see it. I read something in a book recently that said, while not all stories have sad endings, they all have sad parts. And I do think that's true of all of our stories, they have sad parts. My sad part started when I was young. A teenage boy exposed me to things that a young girl should never be exposed to. My dad passed away suddenly in a work accident when I was seven. And a few years later, an older man exposed me to even more things that a young girl should never see. But I also want you to know, I had a really good childhood. I was raised in church, I had friends, I explored nature, I played with my dolls, it was good. But there are sad parts. And sometimes it can feel like the enemy is winning. When I was a teenager, I made choices that didn't align with what I learned growing up in church. I chose pleasure over purpose. I got pregnant and had my first child at 16. I was married right out of high school and had my second child at 19. And not long after that, I was riding home from work with a coworker, and we were at a stoplight, and she looked over at me and she said, Angela, is it possible that you're in an abusive relationship? And even though I can't remember her last name, I give thanks for her, because that was her Esther moment in my life. I honestly didn't know the answer to her question, and so I started researching it, and it turns out the answer was yes, I was. It took a lot of courage to leave, and I moved back home to my mom's house, who's amazing, by the way, um, with my two kids. And I remember the morning after I got there, I was laying on the couch with my eyes closed because I didn't want to talk to anyone. It was early, and I heard my sisters talking as they were getting ready for school, and one of them said, two kids at 19? Her life is over. 
And I could feel the water start to build in my eyes because they were only saying exactly what I was feeling. I was a mess. And my life did feel like it was over. And I continued to be a mess for the next few years. I put my hope in all of the things that our culture says is important. Clothes, cars, beauty, status. I was looking for things to make me feel whole again. But really, I was just making a lot of bad choices. And I got to this place where within the span of a week, my storage unit was auctioned off, I got fired from my job, and my car was repossessed. I gave the guy who bought my storage unit all the money that I had to buy my stuff back because it felt important to me. So I had all this stuff, but no money and no way to provide for my kids. And I broke. John Ortberg talks about how Esther, who became queen because of her beauty, reached this place in her story where her physical gifts, her beauty, could no longer help her. In order to save her people, she had to seek the help of God. And that doesn't mean that God wasn't with her throughout her whole life, right? God was weeping through all the sad parts with her. But the moment that she decided to fast and pray and ask God to help her save her people was the moment in this story that she acknowledged God as the main character in her life. I couldn't do it on my own anymore. I couldn't do it. And with my face on the floor of my bedroom, I cried out to God to help me to save me, and to help me save my people, my kids. And do you want to know the most beautiful part of my story? God did. Right? God was right there. God was right there the whole time, weeping with me, giving me courage God was chasing after me, just waiting for me to turn around, waiting to show me that my life wasn't over. I could tell you that story without telling you about God, and you would think that I'm a lot stronger than I am. I could say, I picked myself up, dusted myself off, and kept going. But telling you that story without God is telling you the story without the main character. It's not me. God picked me up. God dusted me off. God turned me around, pointed me to Jesus, and said, follow that guy. He knows the way. God is the main character in my life. And that's exactly how I want you to fill in those blanks or write it down somewhere so that you can read it and know that God is the main character in your lives too. Even when we can't see God, even when we can't feel God, even if we haven't acknowledged God yet, God is the main character of our stories. 
When I felt God asking me to share my story with you, I did not like it. Mm -mm. (laughs) Even my closest friends tell me that I'm super private. So every time I thought about it, you know, my body temperature would go up what felt like 10 degrees, and I would start sweating a lot. And at first, I didn't realize it was because I was nervous. And so I sent a text to some of my friends, and I was like, I can't stop sweating. Is this because I'm 40 now? Like, I don't, I mean, it's new. It's new to me. But as the deadline got closer, I had this moment where I was pacing back and forth in my kitchen, talking to God, telling God, my story's not that big of a deal. People aren't going to care, right? It's not going to make an impact. The enemy is not afraid of me. And God was like, knock, knock, knock. Hey, girl, I just need to interrupt you for a moment and let you know that you're right. The enemy is not afraid of you. We've already seen what the enemy can do when you're on your own. It's me the enemy is afraid of. It's my power that flows through you that the enemy is afraid of. Right? Sometimes God has to get sassy with me. (laughs) We see in the Esther story that when the Jewish people received word telling them that they could defend themselves against their enemies, the first thing they did was celebrate. They threw a party. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, There was joy and gladness among the Jews, with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. The Jewish people partied and celebrated before the battle. Some people may think that's like putting the cart before the horse, but they were at a place in their story where it felt like the enemy was winning, and they had been praying for God to save them. So maybe they were thanking God for that moment of victory, right? Maybe they were celebrating God's faithfulness, believing that the battle had already been won for them. And maybe all the people around them felt this fear rise up in them because they saw the power of God at work. They saw the love God has for his people, and they said, how do I become one of your people, God? I want to do that. The day of the battle arrived, and the Jewish people were ready. The Jews assembled in their cities in all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. King Xerxes received a report of the day's events, and he shared that information with Esther. And then he asked her what her next request was. Whatever it was, it would be granted. Maybe King Xerxes was beginning to see the power of God at work, too. Maybe. Esther, who discerned that more people were planning to attack the Jews the next day, asked the king to extend the edict so that they would be able to defend themselves. So the king commanded that this be done, and she was right. 300 more men attacked the Jews the next day, but none could stand against them. 
and the battle was over. Do you know what the people did? I bet you can guess. They celebrated. Yeah, they did. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. These days of celebration called Purim were established to give thanks to God for what God had done through Esther. They wanted to always remember that God gave them relief from their enemies, that God turned their sorrow to joy and their suffering into celebration. And they didn't want to keep that celebration to themselves. They wanted everyone to share in it, for everyone to know that God is good. So they shared food with each other and gave gifts to the poor. It sounds kind of like worship without walls, doesn't it? And if you haven't signed up for that yet, you should do it. <laughs> Give thanks and then be a part of sharing God's goodness with the community. Do you know what I like most about Esther's story? Esther saved all of her people. She risked her life for all of them, not just the practicing faithful Jews, not just the ones on the nice list. As I read through this story, my heart kept going back to Haman and King Xerxes, and I was like, God, these are the bad dudes, man. Like, I can't focus on them. I have to focus on Esther. But I kept reading that Esther saved all of her people. And I was reminded of these verses in Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon my heart was aching for Haman and King Xerxes because life didn't have to be that way for them. God was for them too, with them too. They just needed to turn around. And you may be thinking, I don't know, Angela. Seems like King Xerxes had it pretty good. He had all the wine he wanted, all the women he wanted, all the money he wanted. And that's true. But the revenue in the alcohol industry in the United States is over $250 million this year. And the porn industry, that one's a little trickier because it's held by a lot of private firms that don't have to report earnings, but it's estimated to be in the billions per year. Billions. And our country is a lonely, depressed mess. In my mind, King Xerxes was walking dead. He was just as dead as Haman turned out to be. I read these words in Isaiah as an instruction for us. If people truly repent and turn to God, we need to let them, right? We need to give them space to do it. 
And those can be hard words to hear for people that have been harmed by another person. There is no way around that, and you are not alone. But we serve a God of love and forgiveness that sent his son to save all people. There is no way around that either. It's taken me a long time to get to this place. And that doesn't mean that we have to allow people back into our lives. Certain boundaries absolutely need to be held. That's important. And I just want to take a moment to say that if you are using your power or desire for pleasure to harm another person, stop. You do not have the right to harm other people. You do not have the right to cause people pain for years because you want to feel good or important. Please stop. Turn to God. God is waiting for you to acknowledge him, waiting for you to make him the main character in your life. And I believe you can do it because I believe God's power is strong enough. I believe it. And do you know what God has planned for everyone who comes to him and accepts the gift of salvation he offers? A banquet. God likes to celebrate too. And back at the beginning of Isaiah 55, we find our invitation to the banquet. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. This is a banquet like nothing King Xerxes has ever seen. What's being offered to hungry, thirsty, and weary souls? Real, joyful, abundant, satisfying, and everlasting life. God doesn't want us to work for all of the things that our culture says is important. They'll never make us feel whole, not ever. God has all these beautiful gifts that he's just waiting to give to us that are so much better than anything we could ever buy on this earth. And he's giving them to us for free. Esther felt an urgency to save her people. And this invitation is the same. Listen, listen to me. Do you ever say that to your kids when you just need them to do what you're asking by a certain time? There is an urgency to this invitation because we don't know the timeline. We don't know it. Haman's circumstances changed a lot faster than anyone could have ever anticipated. From the moment I fell on my face on my bedroom floor to this moment right now has been a 16-year journey of me saying, what are you asking of me in this moment, God? And I don't always get it right. I don't. 
I've had to ask forgiveness from some of the people that I love most in this world. Life is still hard. So I just want to say to you, no matter where you are in your journey, don't give up. Don't lose heart. God is at work. And who knows, but that you have come to your position for such a time as this. Amen.